Hey, Tyler. Hey, Jay. How's it going? Do you really want to know? Yeah. Hey, guys. Laura Bentley is back with us. Yay. Yay. Hooray. Bentley's How back. crazy of you to make that drive twice. That yeah. was, yeah. yeah. So I have a question for both of you. Okay. Now that you, so presumably the, the Friar household mm-hmm. is out of the baby game. Yeah. So you have, you've hit your max level. Yep. Two babies. Two. And you're done. Two in one uh, pregnancy. We, Boom. In the Domsky house, we hit our max of three babies, and mm-hmm. we are done with that. Uh, and but Bentley is very clearly still in the baby game. Well, I was gonna say it clearly is. it's it's a podcast, Tyler. Yeah. I don't think everybody else could see, but yeah, everyone yeah. can tell by there, the sound of her voice that she is bump. pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and so what that leaves though is a stock of unused baby names. Yep. My question to you mm-hmm. is, what are some fantastic names for babies that you did not get to use that you would like to offer for someone Ooh, that's hard because i can't we were pretty well set on joshua yeah but then so we found out we had twins and it was like oh shoot we need another boy's name like now yeah uh, so that took some did you lean hard into the alliteration of must be another j sound so i am jason daniel fryer <clears throat> my sister is jacqueline danielle fryer and I'm not like super into family traditions, but I wanted that JDF to carry. So it's Joshua David Fryer and Julian Daniel Fryer. Nice. Um, so yeah, it had to be a J name, which severely limited the scope of I was possibilities. Thinking, I was thinking the other day of just without asking, just calling you JD, just like yeah. starting that, just like I, only referring to you as JD. You would think that would be cool, but yeah. like I never, it never caught on. I know. Well, I said earlier I wanted to be called TJ when I was a kid. Yeah. And, it, no, and I, I think I jokingly and called you, it, to, you called you that once yeah. and then quit. And you can't, no, I said, um, call me TJ. And you said, okay, Tyler. Like you really <laughs> hit the Tyler hard. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was my other question, I guess. And so we'll go with that too. What, what, did you like your name? And if, if not, what would you have liked to have been called? When did you start to like your name or do you not like your name? So I went by my last name. Ugh, so I'm in like fifth grade, fourth grade. That early. That early. Do you have siblings? It was soccer. It was my brother. is five years okay. older than me. Okay, that's, yeah, he that He went does by Bentley and that then really it got kind it. of passed down. And once I started sports, yeah, it just hit. And there were three Lauras and two Laurens in my class. So yeah. I was Laura B up until that point and no one likes that no like there's yeah no unless you're a spice girl that's not the way to do it (laughs) no were you a spice girl i was not a she just missed it just missed the cut (laughs) they're like we've got five that's enough sorry (laughs) we've got the sixth and you're 10 years old (laughs) didn't quite have the moves at that point child labor laws got in the way but yeah i probably it wasn't until like seminary that i stopped introducing myself by my last name and that got weird yeah because I, okay, we, we, we'll we come back to that. The way you and I met, you were Bentley. Oh, and people freak out. Like, once I got married, I didn't change my name. But uh-huh. people felt like they needed to call me by <laughs> a more grown-up name. And so to go from people that for 20 years had called me by my last name to suddenly not knowing how to speak to me and yeah. <laughs> call me by a name was... Yeah, it yeah. was an anxiety nobody needed to have. That makes me feel better <laughs> that uh, that that was your common nomenclature was Bentley because I exclusively put, called you Bentley, and then as you came into the seminary or into the into the presbytery, I felt like I probably should. And even like in CPM when you were on the floor, I was calling you Bentley. I was like, 
am I disrespecting her by <laughs> not calling her by her given name? Yeah. Like that. Uh, but that's how I was introduced. Like that's, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I think Bentley's such a great name. Though. It's a yeah. great name. I mean, it's a prestigious car. Your name's not Mazda. Yeah. And Laura is <laughs> not a bad name. No. It's just, yeah, my last name just sounds cooler. And Laura yes. is one of those names that like generationally, as you said, there were multiple Lauras mm-hmm. for you. It was Jennifer in my grade. There were so many mm-hmm. Jennifers yep. and so many um, like Lisas and Julies and things like that. Sarah was a big name. Sarah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of Sarahs. Yeah. Uh, there were very few Jasons. Yeah. And that's back to that question. I did not love Jason as a name. Yeah. So I was Friar for a long time. And my aunt actually, just a term of endearment, called me Jay. Ooh. Because, you know, short yeah. for Jason. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I latched onto. Oh, Sarah wait. caught that. Short for Jason. Yes. Now it all makes sense. Yeah, got it. <laughs> I wondered why you were insisting on being called Jay. It's, I like that letter. Oh, okay. So then Sarah caught on to me being called Jay. And then it was really after college that. Yeah, because you were Jason when I met you. Okay. So speaking of us not knowing what to call one another. Yeah, right. I've had to kind of get Re-learn into the Jay. Names, yeah. 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 Well, and Jay, I mean, it's been an interesting thing for you because you have introduced yourself as Jason. Mm-hmm. Many times, depending on the situation, like your professional name is Jason, right? And uh, yet, you so you'll say, I'm Jason Fryer, or hi guys, I'm Jason, things like that. And then later, you reveal, like, oh, I, I prefer to be called Jay. It's yeah. like, but you called yourself well, Jason, but no, to there's me. a thing to that because, like, because Jay came out of my family, and then my girlfriend, then my wife, yeah, Jay is kind of like. Only if I like you. Oh, it's the inner circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, only if you're really It's a like, term of endearment. Yeah. So your insistence on being called Jay is an insistence on, on me being part of your inner circle. Yeah. I love that. See that? And it's just the letter. Just right? the letter. Yeah. Because that's confusing too because people would start writing yeah. out like J-Y. I need to change it in my phone. There's no Y in my name. Yeah. It's do you, go, do you go J period? No. Oh. Just J. Just oh, the letter J. Nice. That makes me happy. I did not like my name. I did not like Tyler growing up because uh, I couldn't find it on the license plate from my bike. It's oh, always a bummer. Yeah. It was a big bummer. I completely screwed our child over with yeah. that. She will never find it. No. Your, your kid has an awesome name. Yeah, it's Junia. Yeah. Just oh, for so the great. record. It's so great. Oh, I like the story behind it too. Or like the history behind it. I don't know the personal story behind it, but it's a good. It's just the history. It's a good name. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm listening in for these other names because I literally have a list on my phone right now. We found out we're having a boy. Nice. And we had a girl's name settled. Oh, and yeah. And we yeah. have no idea what to do. And we wanted to do something with like naming after historical figure and we were looking at like activists and writers yeah. and things like that and men have a lot of baggage i yeah, don't know do. if everybody knows that really but do. it's yeah it's tough to sometimes find you name. have to pick a name for one person knowing that there will be other right. people that have who are terrible who also had that name what uh give it give us the two sentence junior history name like sure. history of that name yeah so somewhat obscure reference to romans uh but toward the end of the letter to the Romans. Romans the people or Romans the literature, the, the book in the, the Bible. The book in the Bible, <laughs> yeah. the letter from the Apostle Paul. So he does like greetings at the end of people and one of the greetings is to Junia who excels among the apostles. Yes. And for a good chunk of time, translations changed it yep. to Junius because they thought this had to be a man if he excelled among the apostles. Oh yeah. And that more is... like recent research sw- switched it back to Junia because Junius wasn't a name yeah. that didn't exist in a male form. Awesome. So Love it. yeah, there's kind of a fun history to it. There's um, an organization called the Junia Project that is like helping women in roles in ministry. So yeah, yeah, we put a lot on our child on yeah. that. And like I'm a church planter, so it's like we named her after 
someone that they think was probably a woman church planter who had a mm-hmm. house church who excelled among the the apostles yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. at least she maybe she was like super fast like she just <laughs> and then john john the Tell disciple back. challenged her and lost to her and then was like okay i guess you excel good throwback yeah so i hated the name tyler until i turned around 15 and i realized like it's nice to have a unique name like it's nice to not be uh david or, or daniel or like all these right. people there was a million dance and uh and then suddenly it became the most popular name to name kids when like in 1995 huh. and so there was a i went from nobody having my name to having one of the least popular names to having the most popular name <laughs> and it was uh, it was breakneck and so it threw me off and i hated it and so because of that it, and uh my wife had this same kind of feeling that that uh, her name is Adrian, which is not incredibly popular. Right. We both liked. It was frustrating when you're a little little kid and you want things to be personalized to you. Um, but it was kind of neat as you had your own identity going o- older, and so we really wanted that for our kids. So we really pushed the idea of finding names that were unique but didn't sound made up. Yeah. Um, so right in that threshold of of trying to find a name that you don't, you probably don't know anybody named this. But you know that it's an actual name. Yeah, right. it's not like, hey, did you make that up? All all three of our kids' names are ones that are, I think we kind of hit that. Uh, although our daughter's name uh, is now like one of the most popular names for girls, we kind of missed it right after that. But it was down to it was what we named her, or we were going to name her Verdi, like Giuseppe Verdi, V E R D I. Wow. Uh, and that really pushed the limits of, are we making this name up? But we just really liked it. There's a 10,000 Maniac song called uh, Verity Cries. It's a really pretty song. It's really close to salsa, too. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it close. is. Verde. Yeah, yeah. Which means green in, Span- yeah. in Spanish. Yeah. So, but we were sure we were going to. So we went into, in each time, each of our three kids, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl until they were born. Because why not? And... <laughs> And I think if we had had two boys in a row, we would have found out for the third one. But yeah. like, we didn't really care. And it was just a fun excitement. It's one of the few things like there's so many surprises in life that could go bad. And that's one where it can't. Like, yeah. Unless you really have your heart set on one, which you can't change at that point. Like <laughs> yeah. if I was, if either of us were really concerned about b- being a boy or a girl, I'd rather find out early to get that disappointment over with. Yeah. But neither of us were disappointed. So anyway, uh, we had a boy. And then the second one. Uh, our firstborn's boy, and then the second one I just assumed was going to be a boy because 100% of the kids we'd had at that point had been boys, and we're like, we just, we just have boys, so that's it. And we knew for academic purposes that we should pick a girl's name as well, but we were set on the boy's name, um, and then we're down to two different names for the the her name and and Verity, and uh, and decided uh, we were just like, yeah, that's good because we kind of both unspoken just knew it was going to be a boy, and so then she's born. And um, my mother-in-law is in the room, and she and we're all excited. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's a girl!" And then uh, the the uh, the her my mother-in-law Adrian's mom says, "What's the name?" We don't have a name. We haven't decided which uh-huh. of these, so we're just ignoring it. And then uh, all the cheers, cheers. What's the name? Uh, we just keep ignoring it. And then finally, I lean into Adrian. And I'm like. What are we gonna name this baby? Do we have a yeah. name? I mean, which of the we have these two? Which one is it gonna be? And she said, "I don't know." Which one do you like? I said, "I don't know." Which one do you like? <laughs> She's like, I, "I don't know." And so I said, "Okay, you take H, and I'll take V, and we'll rock paper scissors for it." Wow! And in the moment, we rock paper scissors, and she won. And I so, guess you wow. know if you were disappointed then too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and she won, and immediately we were both like, "Of course." But right. I think if I had won, immediately we'd have both like, "Of course." Yeah. And I think that. Especially as her name became so popular, uh, every once in a while we think, oh, we should if only V had won, because no one's mm-hmm. named Verity. But that's the thing, Junia, I know 
of now three other kids, but all of them really born very recently and missionary church planter yeah. kids. Like nobody in our lives had heard the name Junio. That was the other thing about a biblical name is that you run the gambit of sounding like a homeschooled kid. <laughs> oh, and I've had I've had pastors try to argue with me that's not in there. I'm yeah. like, oh, I, I promise I fact checked this oh, before naming goodness. my child. <laughs> I love the idea too of just like trying to like shame you into accepting like your name is unacceptable because it's not in the Bible. Yeah, right. Like, what? Please refer to the previous episode yeah. of Roughing the Pastor on Biblical Interpretation <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. and my anger about well, it. And also, one, who cares if the, like, you're allowed to name your baby whatever you want. Right. Uh, see, Oprah, whose mom misread the word Orpa, Orpa, but she read it as Oprah and she liked that name better. And when somebody pointed out it's Orpa, she's like, no, no it's not. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I did. I misread that because Oprah's way better. How'd that work out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the 2J the boy names I left on the table, I forgot about these. Jonah. But I felt like there was a real swing there, there was. for Christians. We were going for Jonah yeah, for a big the, time. Jonah was, was, everybody was doing it. But then, throwback to the Weezer episode, Jonas. Yeah, Jonas. Jonas oh, is Jonas good. is a good one. Mm-hmm. We And um, then you come born with a song. Yeah, that's like, true. That's, that's true. And we a had, good one. Oh, man. We had a, Jonah was one we were going to do, but that, mm-hmm. again, became a really popular name. One thing I'd love for a girl, we almost, uh, our, 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 our third child as a boy we almost named him clementine if he would have been a girl wow which i really at first it's like oh that sounds really like like podunk like <laughs> hee-haw yeah but i like it because clementine it means, places a lot of bets at the kentucky yeah Derby. yeah yeah like that's, <laughs> but it also i feel like it's it's far enough removed that that could be a unique name and it means clemency like it's yeah. it's it's a kind of a pretty name uh Sela was another one too Sela is mm. good i can't remember the other we had what were the other good boy names we i mean we had two boys we kind of used up our cache of boy names jorah was, jorah was one that sarah had after watching game of thrones it, I, I was gonna say it came from a book series called a song of ice and fire <laughs> which was then later little, turned, little known <laughs> then later popularized into a television show called sweet valley high <laughs> yeah, yeah that was it the other thing that we found out pretty quick is don't tell people the names no because immediately, like if you were to say like if i said like give us the list of eight names immediately i would judge them yeah because oh, i would yeah. feel like I have a chance to persuade you. If you're like Keith, I'd be like, oh, Keith's a terrible name. It's like Keith owes me 10 yeah, bucks. Whereas if you like showed me a baby, it's like, this is my baby, Keith. And I'd be like, oh, that's yeah. a great baby with a weird name. But I'm not going to judge that name because that name is assigned to that baby now at this point. The one that we are not doing, I can say, is Bob. Because oh. everyone, one, because we're in 2019, but yeah. also <laughs> because everyone in my family is named Bob. Oh, yeah. man. But there, there are no juniors. Middle names are all different. Oh. Just a lot of Roberts. So how weird? Bob. How weird would you go? Um, I'd want it to be a name. Yeah. Our child has been pushing for object names oh, for nice. the second baby. Mm. She just I, points to things around there. It's like I love lamp. Yeah. Is kind yeah, of yeah. How, <laughs> where she's getting. Oh man, I love that concept of having. How old is Junia? Uh, she just turned four. Okay, so uh, our oldest was three when our youngest was born but did not uh, I, the idea of having a baby uh, having a child who's aware of the baby coming enough that they have ownership of feeling like they have a stake in the game of like she has a lot of ownership here's, here's I think she thinks it's be. her baby yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to hold her to it once the baby's born yeah. and be like um I hear crying yeah <laughs> deal with this deal with this kid I'm Jay and I'm Tyler and I'm Laura and this, this is, is Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor
Oh, we've already started the episode. <laughs> yeah, we're we're in. I I knew I got to know Bentley through my sister Addie, um, who's ten years younger than me, and so uh, and there's nobody in between Addie and I, and so she I kind of had to when I was in college, going to college eighteen, I went to Westminster, and she lived in town. Uh, we had I I also lived in town, but I kind of made the deal I'm going to live at college because I want to go anywhere else and I went to Westminster. Um, <laughs> But it was really good. But I had to watch my sister a lot. And so she's eight. I'm 18. And my deal was I just kind of said, here's the music that is good. You will like this music. (laughs) Here's the movies you will like. And so I just basically, I mean, as an 18-year-old immature kid who has to be in charge of an eight-year-old, I just tried to make her like me. Mm -hmm. And so just. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, it really worked out well. And so. um, Did it work? I mean, mean, Addie's awesome. So you did something. Yeah. And she used to, I mean, especially in college, she would introduce herself. She would introduce me as I got like just a little past college and I realized that was kind of a toxic way to do it. And I thought also like, Oh, I was kind of a jerk to you, to my sister when I was in college, but she doesn't remember that. She's like, it was, you spent so much time with me and this was great. And even my mom was like, you were so nice to your sister. I was like, I don't think I was <laughs> I, I really, if you think I was doing a good job, I was really trying as hard as I could not to do a good job. Um, but I, we, we had a real good relationship and, and she would introduce me. She would introduce her friends to me as this is my brother, Tyler. I'm the girl version of him <laughs> and it, not he's the boy version of me. And I thought, yeah, that's, that was my goal when, yeah. I, was, when I was doing it. And it, I mean, for very long, and it, it also kind of equipped her as someone who is currently 29, um, have this kind of fluency in a, in a generation above her, uh, in a way that makes her very unique. Like that she has all these cultural touchstones of someone who was born in 1979, uh, in addition to someone who was born in 1989. So in the midst of um, college, I think she met you through camp, right? Yeah. Because you guys worked together. Yeah, we worked as counselors. And she kept saying, oh, you got to meet Bentley. She is the coolest. And I kind of just never met you, but I just kept hearing stories about you. Yeah, we didn't meet until I think I was going up for ordination. I think that was the first time that we ever like really, we may have been in the same room and be like, hey, this is Bentley, but not had a formal like introduction or something. But like we may have had a flaw, like a failed introduction prior to (laughs) But like you came in, to, so I was on, so we have this committee called uh, CPM Committee for Prepar- Commission for Preparation of Ministry. It's a room with it, uh, within the Presbyterian system, we help uh, people who are going through seminary and going through the ordination process to become ordained ministers of ordinance segment. Uh, we have this this commission that's to help you get, no sure, make sure that your theology is straight, that you are capable, that you know these things. When it's done the best, it's to help you be prepared. Yeah. Um, and when it's done the worst, we just rubber stamp everybody and just say, well, you put the work in. There you go. Yeah. Uh, or we intimidate people, but we do a whole lot more rubber stamping than we do intimidating people. Yeah. Um, so y- you were going through the process and I was on the commission and, and you came in and I had this familiarity with you of someone who had never met you, but someone who had known many stories about you. And so that was the situation where I was calling you Bentley and thinking, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I should. And then also <laughs> I realized in that moment. I don't know if your name is Laura or Lauren, and I think I called you both just to, to <laughs> split hairs on your basis. Then I just stuck with Bentley because I was like, well, I know it's that, so I'll go. Yeah. I think what's crazy, too, I'm pretty sure Addie and I only overlapped at camp for a year. Yeah. But, but it you made a felt like impact. a lot longer. Yeah. 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 Not and in a bad way. Yeah. I was going to say, good, good thing or bad In thing. a good, like, influencing one another yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. And then I also, uh, I'm good friends with Jane uh, Larson, who, mm-hmm. was, who was also real good friends with Addie, and I knew Jane quite a bit. Addie uh, tried to set us up several times on like blind friend dates. Yeah, yeah. That was Addie was determined, which Jane helped me start sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. So And so yeah. in the midst of like, and Jane was, uh, I had her be an intern at my, my 
at my church for a summer. And so as she was in the process of starting up with stuff with sanctuary. So I, I again, was continually being your friend through other people <laughs> and less directly. You're, so you're my secondhand friend and that we built this relationship of not actually spending much time in the room together, but being familiar. No. And it. I feel like I know you really yeah, well yeah. because of oh, same. like, yeah, yeah. You're a persona built up from other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we have a lot of, uh, we, we, ha- we are one degree of separation in like All nine different time. ways. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all that is all that is to say, hey, by bing. the by, uh, that uh, yeah, Eden Norio, everybody, uh, that um, the two of you were involved in a thing that I thought was awesome, called Doubt Night, mm. and I would just see it advertised, and every time I see that, we go, oh man, I want to do that, I want to be involved in something like that, uh, but they are doing it. <laughs> well, we keep saying we're gonna do more than one a year, and we keep not doing more than so so tell us about tell us about doubt night and that'll get us into our theology of doubt yeah jay i think you should take that because you started the first one yeah so we do a thing in our youth group for the high school kids um I, I say it's to develop their faith and their curiosity, but it's really the nights that I don't want to write a talk for youth group. Um, we do a Q&A night where I pass out index cards uh, so people can uni- or, uh, unanimously unit. anonymously uh, write out a question. And I will. Uh, the deal is I will answer any question. Um, Ooh, I like that. The, the question, the answer might be, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but there's like no question that's off limits, nothing. And the high school kids love it. Um, I would say like, 75% of it is fart jokes and sex questions, but like <laughs> some of it is legitimate good faith stuff. Now you do have like a limit as to what you'll say, right? I mean, like, I mean, everything's off limits. Nothing's off limits, but there is like, you won't like, is there a question that someone will get like too specific and you'll be like, well, I'll tell you this. Um, like, I know what you're trying to get me to say, but I won't. Yeah. I mean, every now and again, they get personal with me just yeah. trying to figure stuff out about me. And I'm never really inclined to answer those fully i'll give them like a taste of an answer but like even that i won't yeah i won't like shy away from the question I'll but just it's not like, like people trying to trick you into saying explicit things or stuff like that no i'll just say the explicit things oh nice yeah i don't care so like explain this what this word means my kids are this is gonna be weird. weird my kids are super weird and the last one we did was actually a scheduled one um they were trying to get me to feel really uncomfortable yeah which is not uncommon and they really settled in on people that have toe fetishes for some reason ew Right. Which that that's my response to it. So I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, it's gross. But like every question was like, do, would you suck on toes? Do you like toes? Do you, can I look at your toes? I was like, weird. Anyway, we have these Q&A nights and I thought this is fun for high school kids, but I bet there are as many adults that want a piece of this as there are high school kids. Uh, just an opportunity to ask faith leaders and pastors like anything they want to. Uh, so we did one run before it was the dream yeah. team. <laughs> Um, we did one out here in the South Hills. Um, but then Gavin Walton was a part of the high school stuff. He was an intern with us, uh, for a summer and, or not summer, a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and knew that kind of routine. And he and I were starting to bounce ideas. Like what if we did that for adults in a bar? Cause there should be adult beverages for this. Um, so we, I think the first one was just you, me and Gavin. Yeah. And then we added Aaron this last, last time. time around. Which is such a good panel. Like there's, there's not so fun. There's almost no life experience not covered at that, in that group of people. So how does that work at a bar? Like, do you, like how do you advertise it? How do you set it up? How do you? Well, basically, at first I came up with the idea, and then I gave it to Sanctuary and said, "Hey, you guys do a good <laughs> job at all that detail stuff. Why don't you do this?" Yeah, and we already meet at a bar once a month, yeah. so we kind of had a structure there that we do pub talks, which. Yeah. Um, 
ordinarily is bringing in like a speaker every once in a while we'll have a musician come and speak on an intersection of like faith justice art culture politics something like that of where those things come together and so it was like I think the first one that we did was in October um, mm-hmm. and the second one I had planned to take a winter break and I was like why don't we do a doubt night instead and so we did one in January but we we have this amazing relationship with Full Pint which is a bar in Lawrenceville that they let us come in and use um they have kind of a bar area and then they have another room that has like couches and some tables that they have a lot of musicians come in and spoken word and that sort of thing during the week but they let us use it on a sunday night once a month for free because they're incredibly generous and so yeah we were able to do that and encourage people to get like drinks and food while they were there but they have like mics and stuff that you can use we didn't use use mics mics that time when we have speakers there, we usually have a mic, yeah. and I actually want to start recording them yeah. this upcoming year, which yeah. I don't know how Doubt Night would be without, because I feel like being in the room sometimes yeah. gives a generosity of spirit that you don't get over a yeah. recording. Um, the only thing about recording when there's questions, too, is you have to make sure that you repeat tough. the question, Yeah, like for the recording. Yeah, yeah so we just kind of like yeah. sat on chairs facing people and then like talked. Like yeah. it wasn't yeah. super formal. The only thing I don't like about Doubt Night is it feels a little like we're saying we are the pastors that yep. have the answers. Yeah. But even that last one I felt like was really good. There was a lot of good back and forth between the people that were there. It's like the question would come on the note card and then we'd give like some initial thoughts and then someone else would pop yep. up and be like, oh, wait, but I think that and it was like, OK, that's a little better than yeah. just us well, spouting off answers. And sometimes the best thing that I found in terms of having a Doubt Night is just to if nothing else to communicate the answer from a pastoral standpoint of saying, I also doubt. Yeah. Like even if like it doesn't, uh, yes, important stuff can happen in the midst of that. But the, the most important thing to communicate is that doubting is okay. And doubting is not only just okay, it's essential to the faith experience yeah. and pastors don't have all the answers. And some of the answers that we have, have come through almost all the answers have come through seasons of doubt and t- periods of doubt to get to a realization yeah. that is, I almost like don't love using the word because it's more just questions like and being okay like there's no human that actually knows all of the answers to things I've actually started um just in general whenever giving sermons and uh like printing out scripture for stuff I change faith to trust because you can use the same word in Greek and like to trust you have to kind of have almost that shadow of doubt in order for it to actually be trust yeah well and even in english trust is an active verb whereas faith is is used as a noun like we use faith as something that you have right and trust is something that you do and the greek translate the greek word pistis which is what's used in the bible is a noun or it's a verb it's not a noun you can't have it you can't have faith you do faith you faith you live it yeah yeah so trust is a great word for that and I think, too, like even when we do have answers, I remember one of the questions, I can't remember if it's the first one or the second one, um, but somebody asked our positions on gun control. Ooh. And it, it was, was the first one because it was right after I can't keep I our mass say. shooting straight in this country, which uh, is crazy, but um, it was right after a mass shooting. It was Vegas. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It was yeah. whenever there were, I think, what, over 50 people were killed like in Las Vegas. People, yeah. Like, that, yeah. like Yeah, it was yeah. high. And it, it was a season and this is always true where like the the pastoral responses the the loudest voices right yeah. were either 
can't take my guns or mm-hmm. thoughts at, and prayers. at best thoughts yeah. and prayers. Yeah. So when, when I stood up and answered that question, I was like, no, I actually think we need better gun control and like to, to try and limit people's access to these weapons. I think hearing a pastor say that mm-hmm. in that season yeah. was valuable. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so much like I have the answer here. It is. It was like, no, you can believe in Christ and actually have that opinion. Yeah. Um, and hold those two together. I think that was a, a good moment. So. Right. And it's kind of allowing that space of the, the buzzword deconstruction goes around a lot now, but like yeah. to give spaces where you're not just pulling away from community to deconstruct something that you like tying Republicanism and faith together in a tight knot, like to untangle that. Yeah. It's better to doing a community to ever have hope of reconstructing something that is life giving. Yeah. Like if you're, just seclude and kind of let the whole thing fall apart it can be really death dealing emotionally spiritually all those types of things and so like i think the doubt night type of thing and even i would say most of what i've gotten to do um which i'm really grateful for in my ministry has been figuring out these spaces of curiosity and creativity and collaboration that you're actually giving room to say like we don't know let's try to construct something from what we do know (laughs) and let other things fall away well and i I think that 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 is the essential work of the church especially in this culture that we've had this american christianity that's been given to us this this big mess of as we talked about ice cream and manure (laughs) and trying to parse out the two and i mean it even gets back to the thing we said at the beginning of like uh redeeming words versus replacing words Mm -hmm. like is church is the word church so tangled up with so much baggage that it's better to just get rid of the word than it is to help to differentiate that word from what people have associated with and in all things i mean it is the concept of church something that's so damaged that we have to recreate a new concept to be the, the body of christ i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring kirk back yeah <laughs> i'm diving in hard on kirk none of people know what that is captain kirk yeah that's yeah. the one yeah <laughs> The the German oh, the is word, that what the you word mean? Kirk is it Scottish Scottish Scottish, Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. Scottish? Yeah. Okay. yeah it's the Scottish word for church it just means church yeah but I think you know I thought you I really thought you were talking about Captain Kirk no. I was like we haven't talked about Star Trek in this not, yet. Yeah. not yet and probably not ever as long as I'm here I don't, what I don't know anything about Star Trek you don't know uh, t- name three characters on Star Trek I will Kirk give you... Spock and Picard <laughs> like, you did it you okay. did it but those are like two different Star Treks they too, are two different Star yeah. Treks but it's all within the same universe yeah. it's like saying Han Solo Luke and Finn. Okay. Like they're all still part all of the there. same story. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I like in terms of doubt, uh, I like to, to think of, especially what you've been talking about a doubt is sometimes wonder mm. yeah. and wonder in the true sense of the word, not just like, huh, but like the sense of really in what little kids do. Like we are all parents of little kids and watching your kid be excited about discovering and exploring is one of the most uh, rewarding experience that I've had as a parent because it reminds you like, oh yeah, it is worth looking under rocks or, oh yeah, I forgot that it it's neat to know how this thing works or something like that. Or I had like one of the best questions, my kids will always ask really good questions right when it's time for bed. And part of it mm-hmm. is just the stalling process of they don't yeah, want right. to go to bed. But my daughter, when, when she was, I mean, it's probably two or three years ago. She's eight right now. So she's like five or six. And like, literally it's like, we've prayed and we said, okay, here, here you go. Um, and I'm closing the door and she just said, dad, I said, yeah. She said, why do people make war? Oh, 
And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's one. The yeah, yeah, it was pretty much it. <laughs> and, it was, and it was such a great question. And the phrasing of it was so cool. Yeah. yeah. And it was, yeah. and it was so like, it's such a little kid way to phrase something, but it was also a better way of saying it than why is there war? Mm-hmm. Because no war just happens. Right. Right. We make war. It's not like thunderstorms or fire or things like that that can naturally happen. Wars don't naturally happen uh, among people. Like, yes, right. animals fight each other, but those aren't wars. That's just a natural behavior of uh, like animals. And so the concept of why do you, I mean, and it was a great thing to, and, it, and I mean, obviously that's not doubt, but that's a great question to wrestle with. Yeah. And the, I mean, the how do you answer that for a six-year-old? And I mean, the best I could do in that moment, especially when you're trying to get a good sleep, is to say I, people are really scared. A lot of people are just afraid yeah. that people are either going to take their stuff or hurt them. And so a lot of times if they have been hurt, then they want to or their stuff has been taken. They want to take it back and they want to hurt the people that hurt them or even more so if they have been hurt in the past or they've seen other people get hurt, they would rather hurt people first and take their stuff first rather than them being able to take their stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having to process a complex thing like war for a six-year-old is a really great... But, but then a lot of times, like, she's like, okay, I, I, good night. I don't yeah. really care. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, My husband has joked that our daughter can get us to an existential crisis oh, in yeah. three to four questions. Yeah. And, like, and she's fine afterwards. Yeah. But the two of us are, like, reeling. I'm like, uh, I don't know why we exist. <laughs> but there is, like, this inherent curiosity of just why things are and like which can drive me nuts because she's a little lawyer whenever it comes to like yeah. any time that we're saying you have to do a thing or not do yeah. a thing but it's such a cool thing that automatically humans go up against whatever they are told as a certainty and yeah. ask why continually well and that's such a natural and important thing for the kids have and that's why I think when Jesus says, like, we need to come like little kids, he's not saying come ignorant. He's saying come with questions, come yeah. with wonder. And we're taught to not have questions. We're taught to stifle that stuff. That's why a doubt night is so refreshing. Not because it's say, like, do you guys, are you okay? We're all struggling with this. It's just saying, like, we all have questions and questions are good. Yeah. And yet we've been told by for generations by the church, either directly or indirectly, that questions are actually bad. And questions are a sign of a lack of faith. And that the stronger your faith is, the less questions you will have. And that's what gets back to this certainty that was given to to us as, mm-hmm. as like high school kids. The, the worst kind of ministry when people are like, this is how it is. Like, no, it's not how it is. And and I mean, there you can say God loves you no matter what. That's how it is. We can rest mm-hmm. on some firm, yeah. some firmness, but you need, then there's follow-up questions to this. Right. And you should be allowed those follow-up questions. So as, as someone that's cultivating a community, around you know i mean essentially as a church planter and you guys have pub night pub talks um Mm -hmm. all the time like it feels like doubt and questions get baked into the kind of community that you're trying to cultivate how do you do you are you mindful of that or is there a strategy for (laughs) to use a very westminster term but like how do you how do you build that into the system yeah i mean i was i think of it honestly as part of our liturgy of when we gather like even pub talks and our other thing that we do is dinner church that we have those, those are two words i love putting together in the same sentence, by the way. um but like those are kind of the two ways that we gather church so like when we have done doubt night at the pub talks that is a form of church mm-hmm. um they're like through the community that's there 
there is a word of God proclaimed. That's a form of church. And then we have our sacrament whenever we're at dinner church. And like the thing that we do at both of those is that collaboration is a part of it, that there's an kind of ingrained in the way that we shape those evenings together and that time together is that you there isn't one interpretation that is the interpretation for the night and like part of that is the people in the room create that but also we try really hard and I try really hard whenever I'm at other churches too to bring in interpretations that are not just my own positioning so like I know I am a white woman with a like whatever master's degree and am pretty privileged in a lot of ways and so like it makes me need to go to black theologians mm-hmm. and to read other people and bring in their voices um and the hope is to have those people in the room more often um but like at the very 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 least to be able to bring in those different perspectives and say like the the cern the certainty of the way that i was handed scripture as being this is what the bible says was a very particular tradition of interpretation that tended toward very white, very male, very Western. And like, I I think that that's a huge part of it is like to have as a part of our liturgy, as a part of how we interpret scripture, that conversation is always encouraged. And really it demands a lot more from people that are there. Like I think sanctuary takes a lot more effort for people to show up to hmm. than um, like the other churches that I am a part of and work at just because you you kind of have to be willing to take some risk and it's very vulnerable to throw out like I don't know if I buy what you just said in that little sermonette pastor <laughs> like that there's yeah but like I I don't know I feel as if um we have a long way to go with that it's like a lot of trying to figure out how to do it well because you want to give enough content for people to wrestle with um and there is something to studying scripture and studying interpretation and stuff like that but like yeah we we've built in kind of that constant feedback yeah. so i have a good bible story that matches with this yeah um so the, one of my favorite stories is only in the gospel of john uh and it's thomas so thomas are i mean we're talking about doubt and thomas is the guy who's associated with doubt more than anything but i think thomas's story one is very misunderstood, and this mm-hmm. comes from. Uh, I mean, this is comes from reading it more in context, but also informed by Ken Bailey and other people like that. I talked about Ken Bailey a couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh, that was another thing that Bartleby missed. I said uh, Jesus through Mediterranean. This was in the episode that Bartleby I think was sleeping <laughs> through. I said Jesus through Mediterranean eyes. It's Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes. There's another book called Paul through Mediterranean eyes. Anyway, nobody cares. <laughs> um, so, but for uh, those of you keeping track, of yeah, that. exactly. So. Um, uh, in, in John, um, that's where you get the doubting Thomas story. So uh, the idea that uh, Jesus appears to all the disciples except for Thomas, and they all see him, and then Thomas comes back, and they say, hey, Jesus was back, and Thomas says, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And it, we act like Thomas doesn't have faith. And Thomas, and to be called a doubting Thomas is a bad thing. It's pejorative. Right. and But the actual story is very different. And if you look at also Thomas's role throughout, the, the, like he's not very many of the disciples actually have speaking roles very often and um it's really just kind of peter Mm -hmm. and john and james a little bit and then thomas has like two times and right before this um in in the lazarus story which is also only in john thomas has a key thing so uh, jesus is going to go jesus is asked to go to bethany to help 
Lazarus and, and he doesn't go at first. And then he like a couple days later, he's like, you know what, let's go see Lazarus. And everybody's like, no one, he's totally dead by now. There's nothing you can do. And two, they want to kill you in Jerusalem. Bethany is right outside of Jerusalem. Let's not go there. <laughs> Jesus, this is a terrible idea. And Thomas is the only one who says, no, yeah, let's, let's go. go. Let's go die with him. Like I'm, I'm all for going where Jesus is going. And another time, uh, Jesus is saying, like, you got to follow me. And Thomas is like, where are you going? Where can we go to follow you? And so if you, that's the Thomas that we have in this story. And so then we go to this story. It's after the, the crucifixion. It's just a couple days later. And um, all the disciples are locked in a room for fear of mm-hmm. the religious leaders that killed Jesus. And it says that very specifically, except for Thomas. Yeah. And so Jesus shows up and says, Hey, it's me. And then he poofs away and Thomas is not there. And Thomas shows up like that night and is like, Hey, what happened? And they're like, you should have been here. Jesus was there. And if you think of like where all these guys are from Galilee, they're not from Jerusalem. They're all from somewhere else. And so, and they are staying all in this one place. And the chances of Thomas, Thomas did not leave Jerusalem. Right. Thomas has come back. Thomas doesn't know anybody else in Jerusalem. The only reason he would be out there is because the women had come before, come back to the disciples right before the story and said, Jesus is alive and he's out there. And Thomas, being the Thomas who said, let's go die with him, runs out into the world to go see him. Yep. Go and, and look for him. And then so when he comes back, he doesn't say, I don't believe you. He says, I need to see it myself. I want to experience this firsthand. And when Jesus comes back, he doesn't say, Thomas, how dare you mm-hmm. not believe? He says, Thomas, come here. See all this stuff and then thomas is the first person in the gospel of john who calls jesus god and then he says blessed are you because you you believe because of what you've seen and blessed are those who will believe even though they haven't seen yeah and so this whole idea of doubt and the doubting thomas like it can lead you out to find truth mm-hmm. in the world the way thomas does and the best case of this these doubting these doubt nights and these pub talks is that it gets people to say, I need to see it for myself, or I don't really understand this, and to, to push back. And Thomas, mm-hmm. in the gospel, shows a faith that costs more because the, the other disciples are all stuck in this room because they're afraid of the world. And that's the easy way to do church. And so many churches that gather in a place where they can talk about how scary the world is and we'll amp you up and we'll give you what you need so that you can go back out in that scary world and survive for one more week and then come back here and get mm-hmm. and um that attitude towards faith is such a it's a it's a it's a dead faith that's toxic at the same time like there's no life in that and thomas demonstrates this life that his questions have led him into the real world to seek the answers in the world and not out of a lack of trust in god but out of a out of an even deeper trust in god that if we say this God is alive in the world, well, let's go find him then. He's not alive in this room. He's out somewhere else. So let's, we should go find him. Which is why I think it's so cool that, that, I mean, doubt night happens there, but you guys have a relationship with full pint. Like, um, and I, I, as a pastor, I always kind of have like pre alarm worries of people pushing back on something. So like when you mm-hmm. say we're going to have church in a bar, <laughs> I, like, I like always have the, the cranky old person in my head going, no, you can't do that. Have you seen our reviews on Facebook? No. Yeah, we got uh, at least one dude from Florida who said that we're not a real church. Oh, nice. We meet in a bar. But but isn't that a piece of it, though, is taking 
I even taking church to the world. I feel Wait, like that's my, my one other question to that. So is church brew works not a real bar because they meet in the church? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Oh, it goes sorry. both ways. Sorry, it's a two way street. I, just, I, I thought that was worth throwing out there. <laughs> but like, it's, it's not so much like taking church to the world, but it's like proving that church is already in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you get, I, I guess, yes, if Facebook is. Yeah. And I mean, even one of our partner churches, um, we've had to be a little bit careful about our advertising with mm. pub talks because they've gotten pushed back from some of their congregants and I'm not their pastor. And so can't be like, uh, we need to get over that everyone. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, we've. We've gotten that quite a bit, but it's always from people that are pretty far outside what we're doing. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not people that are in a close relationship saying, like, I don't know if this is a good idea. It's um, the people that would never show up in a bar in the first place. Right. Yeah. Well, and also if you have your own, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with the with the uh, people who need the Bible to be inerrant, um, that if that's your viewpoint, then you're you feel obligated to let everybody else know that their viewpoint is wrong. Right. Because mm-hmm. it, if the Bible needs to be inerrant, then anything else is, is not the Bible. And if your view of the church is something that protects you from bars and from mm-hmm. vices and sinful belief, and someone is doing that, then not only do you do disagree with that person, but you feel it's your obligation right. like Saul to go out and stop <laughs> them from corrupting this idea of what church is because church is the opposite of that. It's not supposed to send us into bars. It's supposed to keep us out of bars. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's next for sanctuary for you? Like, where, where do you see this thing going? What comes next? We have finally, I think, gotten ourselves, um, a little more settled in being in Lawrenceville. We Hmm. spent almost actually over a year trying to find a place to consistently meet, um, outside of full pint to be able to do kind of the dinner church, um, aspect too. And we finally have a spot for that. And so we've actually changed our schedule that we were meeting weekly for dinners and realized of like, we don't have time for much else. And this is where a lot of churches find themselves. Mm. And so we changed that and are making it monthly now. And the biggest part of that is that we want to be more involved in the community itself. Um, That, as you were saying, Tyler, of like actually putting into action this belief and trust that God is at work in this place already and to then go alongside the work of flourishing. Our our mission statement at the end of it is that what we're doing, we're doing for the flourishing of our neighbors and neighborhood. And so we kind of want to actually put our time where our mouths are on that and be doing that. Ooh, I like that phrase. Put yeah. your time where your mouth is. Yeah, we don't have much money. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody would like to donate, I can get yeah, yeah. <laughs> link in the description. <laughs> donate button. So I like the other thing I like about that is what so to people who aren't church planters, what can they take out of that? And mm. and maybe mm. not pastors. Like I imagine that the vast major, majority by the way, we just recently passed fifteen hundred fifteen yeah, fifteen hundred listens. Wow! So people are listening to this, or at least they <laughs> didn't press stop on the podcast in front of them, and then this came up. So this is so. Thank you guys for listening. But like, especially, I I imagine the vast majority of those people are not uh, involved in ministry in a direct way. So uh, how can those principles of uh, kind of living out faith in a different, or in a practical way, like what? So what does that mean yeah. for someone who's maybe not in the church? Yeah, uh, this might be unpopular for some of the churchgoers. Oh. I think that we've. One of the biggest things is to stop cloistering everything in the church. Like, 
church softball teams, church fill in the blank things that already exist in the places where you live. Yes. Um, and I, one of my bigger things too is that I think the on the ground, like kind of small scale, just having close relationships with your neighbors and doing community gardens and playing sports, whatever that looks like is really important. But I also think being more politically, socially, civically aware in the place that you live, that you're actually acting socially and civically on behalf of your neighbors and alongside them, that's huge. I think that's something the church doesn't disciple us well in. No. Um, that that's, I, yeah, I feel like kind of those different layers of the like personal, the communal, and then like the broader social structures, like if we can be in all three of those like agents for flourishing and goodness in them. Like, I think that we're actually acting as the church and we do need, like, I think that we need those spaces of gathering and having a rootedness in the way of Jesus to do that well and to do that, to fulfill our calling. So I'm not kind of the, like, just disperse and do your thing (laughs) and you're good. And that's being the church. I don't think that's it at all, but like that in, in kind of the gathering points that you are able to have this rootedness in prayer and I would say in even like mysticism. Hmm. Get a little bit more charismatic on that of like not so much going to church be fed a bunch of information. Yeah, it's, but been, to nice. Actually... it's been nice having you here, but we're gonna have to <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, to actually gather to listen to the spirit and learn the practices of listening to the spirit that then you can be involved in those other things and be guided that way in them is really, really important. Like I, it terrifies me how many Christians don't know anyone who's not Christian outside yeah. oh, and like man. in real relationships with them yeah. I'm doing quotes around them because well, and, it's always kind of scary and even the sense of like that that knowing people who aren't Christian and being their friends but not allowing your Christianity to come into those places hmm. so mm-hmm. that you either hide that to protect them or protect yourself right. or that you don't you don't have any friends who are not Christian that can then uh, that you can engage in conversations about faith with without mm-hmm. proselytizing like that's the hard thing is that How do we equip people to be available for these kinds of conversations with people who like people have thoughts about faith, even if you've gotten rid of it? Like some some people who've gotten rid of it have the strongest thoughts about faith. And so how do we um, allow those conversations without pushing them? But how do we make ourselves available for for that type? How do how do we live out our faith in a way that is not uh, fragile and (laughs) that we're not fearful of? Fragile is a really good word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that that's. I hadn't thought about like church softball teams and stuff like that. That the community that we build in the church is often just for building the community of the church and the church, uh, like small C, meaning the local institution yeah. mm-hmm. that we've created these micro communities that exist in a neighborhood, but that we aren't really as impacted by the neighborhood, especially in the suburbs, because the suburbs have these kind of like fake communities anyway. Yeah. Like they, it's different, I would imagine, in a place like Lawrenceville, which has a very clear identity. Mm-hmm. At, on its own, like whether or not they like it, like the rest of the of the city sees Lawrenceville as a thing. And and, there are strong views within yeah, the oh neighborhood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and I, the thing I love about Lawrenceville, and this is real specific, but if you go to Arsenal Bowling, mm-hmm. you get both sides of that. Yeah. If you go to Arsenal Bowling at 7 p.m., you get the old school Lawrenceville, the people who worked in the mills and who still are there doing their bowling thing. You go to Arsenal Bowling at 9:30, it's a completely right. different group yeah. of people. It's all of the people who who give the hipster notation to 
that they wouldn't call it that, but all of the people who stereotype Lawrenceville as a hipster place are all at Arsenal at nine thirty. My absolute favorite is going to ward meetings because that's a mm. thing we the, yeah we still meet as wards, and so like the carryover you have both. I mean, it's yeah one of the coolest things about that neighborhood is how much people care about that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of tension because <laughs> yeah. yeah. of that. Yeah. There was a question in there that I was going to answer, and then I got off track oh, by all of. <laughs> hey, welcome to roughing the past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, let me tell you about how crazy and cool Lawrenceville is. The problem um, we have is of asking questions and then immediately answering oh, them ourselves. Was, yeah, right. yeah. There was something with the um, softball. Oh, I know what I was. I was going. It wasn't a question. I yeah. was just going to tack on to kind of the softball teams yeah, and yeah. Um, and also like just a ton of programming. Like I can't yes. even list all the things that are going on. Like I. Whenever I talk to people that are really involved in their churches, they're there four days a week. Yeah. Um, and, and it you leaves work very a, little time. You work in a church also. Yeah, I work part time. Yeah. I'm so you're again in a made up job. I'm their director of mission, yeah. which was a new position that so was you created have when a really, I came. A lot of times church planners will have their church planning job and then a job outside of right. the church in some way or yeah. working for the seminary or the presbytery. Yeah, or I've got like the that. weird thing that I will put on a robe on Sunday morning yeah. and then I will be at a pub for a pub talk on Sunday night and both are church, yeah. which is really different. Than <laughs> but you have that unique perspective experience. of seeing how the sausage is made in the institutional church and then being at the forefront of trying to form church for a bunch of people who that's the last thing that they want yeah. and, and creating. And I, I love that, that reality for you because you can see, like, like you said, you can see Sunday morning and not that one is terrible and the other is, is great necessarily like that. There are good things in both, but to try to make Sunday night like Sunday morning right. would be ridiculous and vice versa. Like right. that's not what those communities need. Yeah. And I think like the thing that is, has been the temptation and what has been kind of the structure in a lot of churches is um, Dan White, uh, who's, I don't remember who he's with, but he's a writer. He, um, I was going to give <laughs> a background and I can't is. remember anything, but he's, he's he a good the, follow on Twitter. He was um, in the Pixies. He, he was the guitar so player So I the read, Pixies. he has a book called Church's Movement. That's really good. Mm. Um, that like our kind of discernment team, like the group that got together to be like, should we start a church? Does Pittsburgh need another one of these? There are a ton. Um, he talked about the church industrial complex, oh, wow. which I think I is like so phrase. good. Yeah, and, good it, and it is, it's like, you just want to pour more and more and more resources in and more and more and more people so that you can basically have all of the different aspects of life that are outside the church within the church. Yeah. And like it's I mean, that's how most of our churches function. And so there's not a bandwidth to do much more. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, I've worked at those churches. I've been a part of them like and there's good in that. And people have this tight sense of community but we completely lose like mission becomes just like throwing some dollars out there yeah. and and there's not i mean i oh i'm gonna i don't know you Go can ahead. cut this out if you want but like i think this is how you get whatever 83 percent of white evangelicals voting for trump too yeah uh, i think absolutely. that that's what happens you because you don't actually know people who are outside of that cloister of a very particular form of theology and community. And it also makes you, because I think that the 83, of that 83%, I think a vast majority of those people did not want to vote for Trump. Mm -mm. But they felt, like the, all the people I knew who voted for Trump, I don't know anybody who was like, yes, I love Trump. The people were just like, well, I mean, the alternative was worse. Because they, they are told yeah. that be, in this community, the only way to do the right thing is you have to adhere to someone who checks these boxes. Mm -hmm. And if they check any of the other boxes, then we have to stay. So it's a... When yeah. we're choosing between the lesser of two evils, there are these three things that lowercase Trump, anything else 
that is out there. <laughs> and that's, I think that the, the, the thing about these institutionalized churches um, is that all of that stuff, all the softball teams and everything like that can be, they really are the, the means to an end. But mm-hmm. they have become, for most of those churches, the end in and of itself. Yeah. And so people feel like when we have a strong church community, we then are, like that that our VBS is is kicking, our softball team keeps winning, our <laughs> our bake sale is amazing, our strawberry festival just like uh, out the door, oh, strawberry festival, like all of those things. Which I still don't even really. That's a very Western PA thing. I don't. Yeah. There's so I've never many sides. I've never yeah. been to one either. I mean, but I, I don't even know what it is. But people are way crazy into it, it. It's it's like a potluck, but every dish is strawberries. Oh, it sounds sounds great. <laughs> it, it's yeah. lovely, yeah. but it's also terrible. So all of those things. I mean, trunk or treats, another one like that. Yeah. That when we that. I have a lot goal. of feelings on this. Yeah, <laughs> you got to come back for the Halloween episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Halloween episode is going to be eight the hours one, long. The one holiday that we go and trust and interact with our neighbors, we're going to take and put it in a church parking lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. I think that one of you at least says trunk or treat, but I'm like, uh, not by, I don't no, not by, not by choice. Well, and also like trying to redeem what that was. Like that's something yeah. inherited. But, but yeah. all that is to say, I think that because we have seen uh, if our goal in church is to be a church that has a sustainable budget and sustainable mm-hmm. attendance, then we can can then those programs are sufficient. And if yeah. we have people who are really excited and it to be in those programs, people. Oh, I absolutely. think that's another huge and part it's of it. Easy because it doesn't have to. There's not a whole lot of doubt. You don't have to think about stuff. You just have to do stuff. And so I don't need to think about why a God can exist uh, who is loving and allow the Holocaust to happen when I can just enjoy playing right field for the yeah. softball team mm-hmm. and, or I can bake five different strawberry things and uh, donate clothes to the, to the, like all of these things, which are not bad things in and of themselves, but that's not the ends. That's not the ends uh, it's, it's, that we're trying to get to. It's not unlike, I always joke about, um, I think this was the other podcast, the Jane Variety cast that like when humanity got together and we're like, man, global warming is a crisis and we need to do something about it. And somebody was like, well, if you quit using plastic straws, you'll save the turtle. So like that, that's the least we could do yeah. and yeah. feel like we're participating. That wasn't the other one. Cause I have a lot of thoughts on that. About, I do too. About your hard stance of Vincent. I would, I would defend that statement about the straws. I don't, that's, that's for another day. I don't mind not using straws, but like if that's all you're doing, it, it, it's a finger in the dam of the problem. Yeah. Yeah that I think a lot of people use to make themselves feel better about. And it's also that issue that we never seem to get past the personal and maybe our closest community on right. how we act on things. Absolutely. And that's like, I I think that you have to be able to broaden out who is your neighbor. I mean, it's yeah. that classic question that Jesus <laughs> asks. You have to be able to literally have some form of relationship with people who are your neighbor that are outside of your beliefs and outside of your like kind of very tightly held potluck type traditions to be able to say like these bigger structures of how we're organizing ourselves we we need to do this for one another we need to change them for one another all right we gotta go because laura has to fight pittsburgh traffic oh yeah (laughs) do you want to plug anything different than last week if you want to find me on social media, Hey-o. I'm on pretty much everything as at Rev Bentley PGH. Nice. nice. Uh, Twitter questions today. So uh, what is something, um, uh, well, just questions of doubt. What are questions that you have about the church in just a generic sense? Um, and I think in a more existential way, 
what is a time, what is a question that you've had or a time that you've experienced doubt or questioning of something that you thought was fundamental and that on the, on the other end of it, you see how that was a transformational thing. Yeah. So maybe in the midst of it, it was like an existential crisis. Like I can't function without this being firm and set. And then your evolution of understanding of that has actually led you to a better place. By the by. <laughs> Eat it. it. There, there it is. Yeah, there it is. I don't. I know very few people who haven't traveled that road and found it more freeing on the other side. Yes. To question that foundational yeah. thing, even yeah. if you land in the same spot. Yes. But like the at so. Especially if you land in the same spot. Yeah. Like right. Being able to have understood why you believe something mm-hmm. is a huge thing, and sometimes just, all you need to do is question it, and then you don't have to come with up with a different answer necessarily. You just now have a, a better understanding why that yeah. that you understand instead of one that was just given to you. We the oh wait. Before anything else, I think uh, Barbie's coming in. Oh, no. Oh, wait. Has, did Barbie come in? Where is Barbie? Did we lose him? I don't know. Did he fall asleep? Wait. I see him up there. I see him curled up. You can see his, his stomach is going in and out. He's, he's in his nest. He's asleep. Poor guy. That's the most precious thing I've ever seen. Don't put a blanket wait, on listen, him. Listen, listen real close. close. Listen real close. Right here. Right here. It's like a little angel. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, that was Adam Sandler. That's not, that's not Barley. Adam Sandler, what are you doing here? All right, see you, Adam Sandler. All right, I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. I've been Bentley. And this has been Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor. pastor. Oh, you're gonna love that. What's that ASMR? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still don't quite get that. I don't know. What do those letters stand for? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's creeping me out. <laughs> Have you ever listened to? That's even worse. Is listening. Is someone taking the first drink out of a? <clears throat> I got bubble in my throat. Someone taking the first drink out of a of a can of a pop is disgusting sounding. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, we we've, we've been watching the Burbs a lot recently. Okay, best movie ever made. Yeah, um, and uh, it's seasonal for you guys, isn't it's, it? It's seasonal in that it has to be summery. Okay, so generally Memorial Day, Labor Day, um, and Fourth of July. It feel it's a holiday weekend. Okay, so like that's the theme of it. It doesn't really say, and it's in the summer, so it's got to be a summer holiday weekendy time thing. Right. Um, and, but in that movie, Corey Feldman. Either the Foley artist, who is the guy who does like sound for like adds sound effects later, either the Foley artist or Corey Feldman himself is just really working whatever can he's like he he's like 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 oh. always kind of working it yeah and uh, it's like he, when he drinks he's like and it's just he's disgusting and he does the same thing in Goonies so I do think it's Corey Feldman yeah who is just a disgusting person now the lead singer of Thirty Seconds to Mars is that no right? what. Hang on, let me check that. Oh my goodness, I hope that that's true. Corey Feldman, the lead singer, he is... The so lead he, singer from 30 Seconds so to Mars is someone. Is Jared Leto. Is it? Yeah. The poor man's Joker. 
Oh, don't get me started. Yeah, the, or the the idiot's Joker. Let's let's call him that. The Joker's Joker. Jared Leto. I didn't. I missed that. But now it's Corey Feldman. No, I made that up. Oh man, I, confused I would Jared have Leto. loved to for whatever happened to Corey. The, the thirty seconds of March to go from Jared Leto to Corey Feldman. Um, Corey Feldman. I don't. I don't know if any of this will go into anything, but no. uh, I highly recommend googling Corey Feldman's music videos. Yeah. Oh boy, that you'll feel bad. <laughs> like at oh, first how like, the mighty oh, man, have fallen. These, I don't even know that he fell that far. I think <laughs> he just kind of coasted slowly into nothingness. But if you, they will. They're both the worst thing you've ever seen in a hilarious way. But then after a while, you start to feel bad. Oh. Because he really thinks they're great. Yeah. And that's what's so sad. It's not like watching like a like Smash Mouth's videos now. Right. Like anything that Smash Mouth has done in the last three years, which is probably a lot. Like if you watch one of their videos, they kind of know. Like we're way we're on the way down. They're self aware. Yeah. And yeah. this is the best we could do. I mean, it's it's all with the shrug. Like, what do you expect? Yeah. You know, yeah. we peaked 15 years ago. <laughs> Maybe. Whereas Corey Feldman is like, this is the best video that's ever been made. It's like, oh, oh, buddy, oh, Feldman. Oh, okay. Man. 